Welcome to the Cocktail Guru Podcast. A show about food, drink, and entertainment. With a tight focus on the good life. And all things delicious, luxurious, and fun. I'm Jonathan Pogash, bartender, author, and the host of Cocktails the Grand Tour. And I'm Jeffrey Pogash, wine and spirits professional, author, insatiable collector of culinary ephemera, and so people tell me, an engaging raconteur. And my dad. Well, here we are. Uh, once again, my father, Jeff. Hi, John. How are you today? I, I'm, doing, I'm doing quite well, in good. fact. Good. I'm um, doing very well, as a matter of fact. Oh, good. Um, I, you know, I think, I think we're kind of in, in a little bit of a groove here uh, because we're about a handful of episodes in, um, and we, we have a little bit of a rhythm, including our opening drink, uh, which I have. Here's what I have. You ready, Dad? I'm ready. Shoot. It's it's inspired it's inspired by our guest today because I have I'm reminiscing of these new, old New York cocktail days you know and by old cocktail days for me I mean you know like when I was behind the bar and when you were working at Moet Hennessy and going to bars and whatnot but I have a uh, Hendrix Gin um, Gin Gin Mule Wow uh, which is of course yeah. yes it's of course one of those one of those new classic cocktails created by Audrey Saunders. Um, in, in New York City. And Hendrix Gin, of course, makes a really nice cocktail. Uh, and what are you drinking? Well, I, drinking I have a modified classic. It's it's a Martinez. It's a Hendrix Martinez. What I took oh, Hendrix. Nice. I added a little bit of uh, vermouth, some sweet vermouth. And I added a touch of, in this case, orange bitters. And it's making a really, really nice drink. Oh, that, that sounds mm. really delicious. Um, it's yummy and it's calming me down and it's making me feel really good. And it's in honor of our classic guest, Ms. Lucinda Sterling. Well, hello. Who is partner, <laughs> par- managing partner at Seaborn in Red Hook, Brooklyn. One of my favorite places. Thank you. Hi, Lucinda. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> Lucinda. Welcome. It, it is so great. So great to see you. Before we get into anything else, we always start our episodes by asking our guest of honor, what is your desert island cocktail? So if you were stranded on a, de- on a desert island, what is the one drink that you want to have in your hand? Well, I like to say dessert island. So therefore, it would be a pina colada. <laughs> Very good. Mm. Excellent. Ooh, it's one of my favorites. Yeah, too. it's easy to drink. Fro- well, we knew frozen or not frozen. Oh, uh, well, I guess in the island it would be hard to freeze it, but um, <laughs> I'll drink it in any fashion. <laughs> it would be, and and you, you, um, many of you at home can't. Well, none of you at home can see what we are wearing, which is mostly a good thing in general. But um, uh, we we do different tiki shirts each episode, and I have my uh-huh. pineapple uh, tiki shirt, and Dad, Dad, you have a. Some kind of a tiki shirt. Yes, it's an island tiki shirt, and it's the newest shirt in my tiki collection, as a matter of fact. I saved it just for our special guest today, just for Lucinda. And I'm wearing a guayabera. Ooh. It's beautiful. Oh. It's lovely. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, this is a very special broadcast today. Um, it's special because it the the subject matter is the legacy of Sasha Petrosky and our guest Lucinda Sterling worked for about 10 years with Sasha 
at um, his various iconic bars, which we will mention in just a minute. Um, but I want to start off by asking Lucinda about her background. I know you came to New York in approximately 2005, and I know that you came via Denver, Colorado. Indeed. But I, but I also know that before you went to Denver, you were born and raised in Grand Island, Nebraska. Yeah, I'm sorry about and, that. Um. <laughs> and, you, and you're the only person I know from Nebraska. From Nebraska. Same here. Um, Same here. I think a lot of people are from Nebraska. They're just not willing to admit it. I think I spent actually, uh, more, my formative years were split 50-50 between Nebraska and Colorado. Hmm. So at least I have that. <laughs> well, and, and Grand Island, uh Nebraska is the home of Henry Fonda. Yes. For those of you who may not know that. Yes. Yes. Yep. I uh, I don't know that, and I'm not sure I ever would have asked. Well, to know that I, really. I've I've done but, my research. But thank you. You have. Yeah, thank he's you. very and celebrated not... at the Stir Museum. Ah. Very just outside good. of Grand Island. But when you were in Denver, well, tell us a little bit about your background in in Nebraska. And Colorado. And Nebraska and Colorado. Um, well, I was born in Nebraska. My family um, started out in Nebraska because my father was raised there. He went to Vietnam. And uh, during that time, he met my mother. And then after the fall of Saigon, my mother and father decided to continue the family um, in Nebraska. But then we left Nebraska, fortunately, because my dad got a job with um, uh, Lockheed Martin. Well, which was Martin Marietta back then. And uh, so we lived in Littleton, Colorado. And so I grew up there. My older sister graduated from high school there and started college. But then shortly thereafter, we had to move back to Nebraska. And I finished high school living with my grandmother. And my father and my mother um, worked on their marriage in Colorado. And then after that, I decided that I really wanted to be around my sister, my older sister, and so I decided to go to college at the University of Colorado Boulder, where I spent many, 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 many years <laughs> attending college, trying to um, obtain two degrees, one in um, psychology and one in information systems. We all know what that's like, well, having to get through college. <laughs> Not an easy task at all. Did you, Lucida, did you work in bars while you were trying to... Um, so that's the funny thing. I spent more time uh, in um, in front of the bartender, not behind the bar <laughs> in, oh. in Denver. <laughs> but I never really learned anything about cocktails. Um, I always felt very intimidated. So our go-to drink was definitely a shot of tequila. And, um, you know, maybe if I was lucky, I, I was able to drink some champagne. So um, it's hard. it's hard to say that I had any experience with cocktails. And just one thing I want to interject before we go on to develop your history a bit further. Your mother was originally from Thailand, correct? Vietnam. Or, oh, Vietnam. Yeah, she grew up in Saigon. Okay. Or ah. now Ho Chi Minh City, but... I, I thought there was a Thai connection there somewhere. No. Okay. But there's nothing wrong with Thailand. I love the food. No, no. That's <laughs> great. So do I. So do I. Um, Cambodian, perhaps she's a, a mix. Oh, she's sorry, a, sorry. Cambodia is what I was thinking. Yeah, her mother. Yes. Her mother was Cambodian. Cambodia. That that's what I that's what I knew. 
somewhere in the back of my mind. I knew that was the case. But then in 2005, you took off for New York and you ended up in, of all places, as a customer, milk and honey. Yes, um, well, it wasn't ending up necessarily. I had a friend who was um, a longtime patron of Milk and Honey, a big fan of Sasha Petrosky's. He actually worked at the Blue Ribbon Brasserie. And so a lot of times what they would do is end up, them those, themselves, they would end up at Milk and Honey. Um, so when my friend found out that I was going to move to New York, he, he obviously made the introduction to Sasha, but that wasn't the first time that I met Sasha. It's just that he had said, Lucinda's probably going to look for a job. Whereas I wasn't necessarily going to stay in New York for a long period of time. It was in a, I was on a you know road trip. I was supposed to go around the country, but as soon as Sasha gave me the job, I said, this is it. And coincidentally, that same night, I was able to talk to one of the bartenders who was going on tour with her band, Gogol Bordello. And she said, yeah, I need to sublet my apartment. And I said, that's great. I'll totally take it. <laughs> it was supposed to be about maybe two and a half months, which turned into two and a half years. So it was a fortuitous set of happy circumstances. Absolutely. That, that kept you in New York yes. at Milk and Honey as a waitron. Waitron. Hmm. Yeah, I would say waitron. Um, wow, I really handed, I got handed my ass when uh, I was working for Sasha because I had no idea. Like I said, we were just drinking tequila shots in, in Denver. We There was only one place called the Cruise Room that maybe served cocktails and other cocktails were vodka martinis, dirty vodka martinis at that. So, hmm. and I didn't realize there were all these different types of scotch, like five different versions of hmm. regions for scotch yeah. and all these gins and I remember when I first started work, working for Sasha, he had, he had said to me, he's like, I can't believe you don't know all these liquors because you're 30 years old. When I hired you, I thought you were 21. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, well, can you? So 2005, New York City, uh, a very distinct sort of time in New York City for for bars and hospitality. Can you? Uh, I mean, I that's when I was right in the thick of it. I was working. And um, can you kind of paint us a picture of what? what the scene was in 2005 in, in New York City. Um, I think I can, not, not as well as you, so correct me if I'm wrong, but when I walked into um, the, um, the scene at Milk and Honey, I think that cocktails, classic cocktails were just making their breakthrough. You know, like obviously there were drinks like the Cosmopolitan and those are great, but um, most people I think were not accustomed to drinking the classic variations of what they possibly knew were... Um, or I'm sorry, they were drinking what they thought were modern drinks. Like a margarita was made a certain way, not necessarily with a triple sec or in fresh lime juice. And there were probably a lot of places that were using, you know, like cordials, et cetera. So um, right. in order for us to um, convince people that fresh is better, <laughs> we often mm -hmm. had to take a lot of drinks back. And I think um, when we first opened up Little Branch, right? Um, people were asking for vodka Red Bull. <laughs> and when you say you don't have Red Bull, they go, what kind of bar is this? <laughs> yes. Right. Um, and then you, and so, did you get, did you get Red Bull though? No, for those gosh, no, I just recommended a drink that tasted just all? like Red Bull. You know, just add more sugar. <laughs> really? Yeah. And some places decided not to serve vodka. Oh, that's true too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Vodka was kind of the yeah. Achilles heel, I guess, to cocktail, classic, classic cocktail. Yes. Makers. But during during that time, two bars opened up. During that time, in addition, 
during that time, um, Little Branch was one of them. Yes. Where which you, uh, in which you took a job shortly after Milk and Honey, and Pegu Club was the other one. Oh yeah. In two thousand five, Pegu Club was just opening up that year. Dad, you and I went to the opening of. Pegu yes, we Club. did. Um, yes, we did. And then we went to the five year anniversary that's, of Pegu that's right. Club. As well. I have the menu right here, fifth anniversary yes, menu. But also in 2004, one of our previous guests opened a bar called Employees Only. Oh, yeah. I think that Jason, was more contemporaneous yes. with Little Branch. I think Pegu Club might have actually been a little bit sooner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jay, um, Jay Cosmos was on our show a couple episodes earlier. Um, and, and so it was that was really cool reminiscing about those old school. That's what we call our old school New York days. Right. Yeah. And, and what did we do after our shifts? You know, he was talking about all the places that they would go to. And, um, you know, I don't know if you used to go to a place called APT. I always hear I always remember that place. I remember APT. APT. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember much yeah. about being an APT, but I remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I wanted to say something about going back a little farther than 2004, 2005. My first encounter with a craft cocktail bar was really, believe it or not, in 1986. In 1986, I... What? Yeah. What? Yes. That wasn't that that long ago. That's very kind of you, Lucinda. There was a restaurant that was opening and I was in the wine. I wasn't in the cocktail. I didn't know anything about spirits. I didn't know anything about cocktails. I was in the wine business, hawking wine, trying to sell wine to every restaurant in New York City and every store. So I ended up at a place called Aurora and Aurora restaurant had this guy in it. The, The guy who bought wine wasn't there that day. So I ended up talking to the bartender as I usually did. And the bartender was very kind, very generous with his time and with his knowledge. And he was talking to me about cocktails. He served me a cocktail or two while we were there. His name was Dale DeGroff. And Dale DeGroff was the first, who? <laughs> the, who? the godfather of the craft cocktail, Dale DeGroff. He, oh, he yes. was the one who got me interested and got me thinking about Cocktails, not just craft cocktails, but cocktails in general. And uh, his uh, his thing, of course, was using only the freshest ingredients he could find. And I just want to mention that that attitude, that philosophy really came from a guy named Joe Baum. Joe Baum, who, the great restaurateur who was responsible for the Four Seasons restaurant, La Fonda del Sol. Right. Windows on the windows, World. The revamped Windows on the World. Um, and it's thanks to him and then thanks to Dale that we have this movement that Sasha picked up on, of course, and he ran with it and took it to another level. One might say an even higher level. Yes. And so that, so the, the, uh, that experience got me thinking more about cocktails. And in 1989, just a couple of years, a few years after that, I encountered a place called Temple Bar, which was a freestanding bar. And they were 
doing nothing but craft cocktails as well. So that was just something that got me into this whole notion of craft cocktails and got me thinking about it. And then, of course, years later, several years later, Sasha came into the picture and created Milk and Honey. Jeffrey, what did you drink at these bars? You know, I, I'm, I can tell you what I drank because... Oh boy, he's he's pulling out I the am. menus. I am. You you guys can't see it at home, but he has filing cabinets behind him, full of papers, overflowing with. No, he doesn't. Yes, um, yes, I do. He does have yes, room. I do. He does have a room. Yes, I do. He and because of my dear wife, who got sick and tired of all of these menus and binders, I everything is in my basement. So yes, I can tell you what I drank because I have the menu right here from. Temple Bar. Nice. And what we what they were serving at that time was um, martini. These are called Temple. They had categories: Temple Classics Martini, Old South Martini, which was with uh, vodka or gin. The regular martini was ma- vodka or gin, your choice. Margarita with salsa commemorativo, Grand Marnier. And fresh lime, so it was like a, a Cadillac margarita, as we would call it. Mm-hmm. Cosmopolitan, yes, Cosmopolitan, mm-hmm. Cointreau, citrus vodka, lime, and cranberry juice. Then they had sparkling cocktails, champagne cocktail, Kier Royale, Kier Imperial, champagne punch for two. Getting back to cocktails, they have a Manhattan, an Old Fashioned, a Bloody Mary, a Gimlet, a Sidecar. And then they had specialty cocktails, Caipirinha, Citropolitan, Mojito, Sidekick, and Zagropino. Then they had special martinis, and this is the end of the menu. Red Hot Martini, Mango Martini, Green Apple Martini, and Sacatini. Yeah, that was the menu back in the the days. And you had one of each? Oh, I I had had one of each, yeah. I had... I went to this bar so many times after I discovered it. It was on Lafayette Street, and I had been visiting Astor Wine and Spirits for years and years, and I stumbled upon Temple Bar. And every time I visited Astor, which became more frequent after that Temple Bar visit, I would go to Temple Bar and have at least two or three of those cocktails. So I had them several times over, not just once. So... Um, that's great. And I think we could possibly do an entire episode that would last maybe eight hours long where you're eating, where you're reading every single cocktail and description from every single menu that you have. Um, and that would be a, a very interesting. I'm certainly capable of doing that, but let's get back to the two, 2005 when Lucinda, you went from uh, Milk and Honey to Little Branch and that's where you became a bartender. And that's where you really started working, I would say, I would think more closely with Sasha. Um, I actually worked with Sasha very, very closely at Milk and Honey. And then under um, Joseph Schwartz's tutelage, I learned more about the bartending aspect. And I also had um, Sam Ross and Mickey McElroy guiding me um, through the uh, whole process of learning about cocktails and the ingredients. And so the, the thing that I think um, helped springboard, springboard me into bartending was the bartender's choice. Um, I was just learning about cocktail service as well um, at the same time um, as learning the ingredients. 
I had not, I, I had no idea how the cocktails were actually being made. And I didn't, I didn't really have a grasp on the whole idea of jiggering. Um, so mm-hmm. what they taught me um, was how to translate the bartender's choice into what the bartender can make when I, when I had a discussion with the guest. So I'd ask the guest what your taste and preferences, like there was a shorter um, version of what do you like, <laughs> you know? Um, mm-hmm. So that's what helped me kind of like narrow down my scope of what people generally will like to drink. And so um, it helped me develop a list of what I should do for the bartender's choice. And then when I did, when I did begin bartending, it helped with that time spent in front of the guest rather than being um, a little bit aloof, needless to say, thinking about the cocktail that you're going to make the person knowing exactly what they want. And it's, it's more about like not telling them what they want, but just being able to predict what they, you know, narrow down the scope of what it is that they are going to like. And once you build that trust with somebody, it's easy to go on to the next drink. And that bartender's choice philosophy was fairly new at the time, was it not? It's fairly new. And Mm -hmm. I think there are uh, several different ways to approach that bartender's choice. Um, It, it allows you the um, option to use whatever ingredients you have in front of you um, or to be very experimental. Yeah. And what I love about Bartender's Choice is that, you know, right around the time, right around 2005, there were also bars that, um, you know, for lack of a better word or phrase, lacked personality um, and definitely kept that fourth wall up between the bartender and the guest. And the Bartender's Choice breaks down that fourth wall um, and allows the bartender to interact with the guest and for the guest to literally order whatever the hell they want, you know, because that's, that's the thing. That's the pushback that you'd get the most from guests. I think when they're just looking at a menu, right. Because they'll, they'll say, um, well, I don't know if, is this too sweet or can, can this be more? Sorry. Oh boy. Yeah. No, there is everything. Okay. Um, it's, it's just, was, it's just a, red hook. It's New York city. So, so someone who comes to the bar and and they're like, well, I, I don't really know what I want, then that's perfect. The bartender's choice, they'll put it in your hands. You can ask them what they like, and then they'll say, not too sweet, blah, 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 whatever, and then you'll make it. And It's when they go. say blah, 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 that you really know what they want. But I think that's what the <laughs> definition of craft is. You know, you want that person to think that you made them this drink. <laughs> yeah, just just right. for them. And then, and then they're like, oh, this is so good. What do you call it? And then you're like, well, what's your name? Judy. It's it's the Judy <laughs> cocktail. Ah, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's so romantic. Yeah. Right? And then you actually implemented all of that knowledge and all of those categories like Bartender's Choice and many others. And you learned all about craft, classic cocktails, contemporary cocktails, and you ran with that when you opened Middle Branch, right, in 2012? Yeah, when I opened up Middle Branch with uh, Sasha and Joseph, uh, I had actually several tools by that point to be able to train um, whoever it was that we brought on board. There was a a person that I remember being very instrumental in creating um, a very streamlined uh, reference 
for the cocktails. His name is Michael Matterson. He He's from Melbourne. He was actually able to put everything into a single document so that we could reference it. And, um, and then of course, after that, Sammy came out with the bartender's choice. So you can have like, um, a, a visual digital version of the, of the menu or, you know, the available cocktails, new and mm-hmm. old. So that, that made, that made it, it was a bifurcated experience. Not only did you have this this technology to be able to train your bartenders, but then you found your bartenders always on the phone looking up recipes for the bartender's choice. And you're like, hey, you know, you're supposed to kind of know this stuff. Don't don't get on your phone and start looking up recipes. This is, you know, if we're if we're gonna actually execute drinks and you know, like try to be as fast as possible, then you can't be on your phone looking up recipes. You have to have like at least five recipes that you know that you can go to. And you had a great selection of cocktails at middle branch. Yeah. Which Um, I have right here. (laughs) Beautiful. Oh, that's that's all the ones. That's very much like the one at little branch. Uh, Including, including bartender's choice. Yeah. Always. You got to have the bartender's choice. Yeah. If you're hearing the shuffling of papers, you know, that's uh, anytime uh, throughout any of our episodes, it's, it's dad with his, or it's dollar bills and, and, and dollar bills and notes. (laughs) Wait, what, um, how come I don't see any of those? It's all under the table, Jonathan. Now, now then from middle branch, this was an incredible leap. Um, Sasha planned on opening a bar in Red Hook, Brooklyn, that he was going to name Falconer, but the name was changed and you chose the new name because unfortunately Sasha passed away on August 21st of that year, just before you were, well, as you were planning it. So you were much more involved in the planning stages of this bar. Well, I think that the, the, the backbone was already in place and what had to be figured out was what Sasha's intentions were for the, the, the location of the equipment and what he wanted to do with the equipment and how he wanted it to be um, organized. I think there are a lot of people that contributed to his overall plan and he might've had several different stories and intentions with different people because he's always trying to placate everybody that he's in the room with, you know, like everybody he wants to take care of before he does before they take before he takes care of himself so it was a very big mystery we didn't have anything written down we didn't have any drawings to reference um so i guess i just surmised based on my experience with him and a couple of other suggestions from you know cohorts cohorts what he wanted to do and it it was a challenge because mostly because red hook is um there are a lot of dive bars I don't know. If, I mean, mm-hmm. dive bars yeah. are great. Um, none of them here have pool tables, though, which I'm not. I'm not happy about. Um, but no you good. know, you, no you're good. coming in kind of like uh, pretentious, like you know, we've got these fancy cocktails and this you know beautiful place, and you have to you know kind of act accordingly. Um, that was a that was a big hurdle. Um, if it had been Sasha, I think it would have been different because I, he has obviously a reputation. I was nowhere close to, you know, his um, his prowess at that point. Mm. So it was mm. a challenge. And one of the innovations at Middle Branch was 
a water spigot or water spout or pump for every table? Um, at Seaborn, yeah. So one of the, uh, sorry, at Seaborn. Yeah, he yes. he wanted to basically treat Seaborn like his original milk and honey. Um, he was left to the design of the bar, uh, the building owner, as to the location, but he wanted it to seem like his original project. He wanted to do it alone. He didn't want to hire any bartenders. He didn't want to have any other partners. And so one of the things that he found a key was to install these spigots table side because he said that filling up water glasses is it swallows up about 40% of the weight person's time. So he didn't want to have to go to every table and fill up waters. I mean, if, unless you gave him like a liter sized glass and it wouldn't, you know, be so time consuming, but it was a kind of a genius idea and, and people can at least, you know, feel like they're taking part in their own cocktail experience. Absolutely. Oh, to be, oh, to be the plumber on that project. <laughs> it's not that bad, actually. It's pretty easy, but I'm not no. going to give any secrets okay. away. Well, in my mind, you know, whenever I'm helping to design a bar, the plumbing, plumbing is always a big thing, you know, and they're like, oh, we got to, we got to, you know, drill it. We, we got to go into the, we got to go into the floor and we got to pull it through this and put, put it through that. That's absolutely plumbing. right, Jonathan. Going through and drilling <laughs> holes in the floor, it just never ends hmm. for sure. Now, one thing that was interesting about milk and honey in New York is that there never was a printed menu. That's correct? correct. Because everything but, was the bartender's choice. But there was a printed menu for milk and honey in <laughs> London, which I happen to have here in my hot little hands because I went to milk and honey in London in 2002. Beautiful. I was there. I think I was there and, too then. Well... I'm, I'm sorry we didn't meet at that time. Three different floors, though. How can you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it was a it was a great bar and great cocktails, and uh, it was an experience never to be forgotten. Yeah, incredible. just as all the experiences are: Milk and Honey, New York, Little Branch, Middle Branch, Seaborn. All the experiences that many of which you have allowed me to uh, experience. Lucinda Sterling. We were talking uh, recently about Sasha and the reason I think Milk and Honey made it such a, a, an experience in and of itself is because you felt like you were traveling back in time to an era that you didn't even really know about. And this, you walk in, in this dimly lit place, it's only, you know, only lit by candles, no electricity. And this guy's serving drinks in pants and uh, suspenders and a button up shirt. You know, yeah. nobody does that anymore. Everybody's wearing sweats <laughs> or jeans. Right. Yeah. It was so refreshing. It's so refreshing to, to see, you know, to, to see people serving drinks like that um, because coming out of the, the sort of late nineties, early two thousands, it was, you know, the black pants, black shirt bartender. Yeah. Right. And you're like, uh, it's Monday and it's, it's, it's the same every day. Now, one of the innovations at Milk and Honey, Lucinda, is the house rules, the set of house rules. I remember that distinctly. They were posted in the men's room, and I think you indicated they were in the ladies' room as well. And there are six of them, and I'll go over them pretty quickly, but I want you to comment on the first one because it's important. The first is no name dropping, no star fucking. Whoa. Dad, well, dad. That's that's right. 
That's what it said. I'm just Pardon reading what it said. Wow. I don't know <laughs> if I've ever heard you say that word before, in fact. No, you, you have not. That's a first. What but we've is never done happening? It. Where so, am I? What is happening? So, But there's an explanation for that that Lucinda gave me, and I wanted her to just mention What does it that briefly. mean? Well, it doesn't mean you have to um, F you the, the star. It's more like don't talk about people um, and throw out maybe criticisms or adulations without knowing exactly who's in the room with you. You never know who's listening. Because there were celebrities who went to Milk and Honey, of course. Sure. And, and, and New York City is riddled with celebrities and people that know them tangentially. So you don't want to be the bar that is known for talking about people. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's more supposed to be um, anonymous. You know, have a good time without gossip. The other rules are self-explanatory. Number two, no fighting, play fighting, no talking about fighting. Number three, no hooting, hollering, or other loud behavior. Number four, gentlemen will remove their hats. Hooks are provided. Number five, gentlemen will not introduce themselves to ladies. Ladies, feel free to start a conversation or ask the bartender to introduce you. If a man you don't know speaks to you, please lift your chin slightly and ignore him. (laughs) (laughs) Number six, number six, do not linger outside the front door. Exit the bar briskly and silently. People are trying to sleep across the street. Please make all your travel plans and say all farewells before leaving the bar. Voila. That's amazing. So, so Milk and Honey and Sasha in general was really um, a 19th century man, a man of 19th century sensibilities, yes. making making contemporary and classic cocktails. Yeah, fly below the radar as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Lucinda, what is at the forefront in your mind right now? What is coming to the future? What What is happening now that we're kind of being lifted out of this uh, pandemic fog a little bit? Um, what, what's, what's happening? What's next? Well, I don't know what's really next for now. It seems it's very convenient to have, um, bottled cocktails, um, you know, canned cocktails by these companies, like got the Kuiperina in a can and, um, low ABV cocktail or low ABV drinks, hard seltzers, etc. I don't think that's going to pervade. I think we're going to go back to a, a lifetime of, of drinking cocktails, in front of the bartender. Um, this is a very temporary thing. And it's, yeah. I, I, there's something that's totally missing when you don't have that in, interaction with the bartender. Um, I, it's hard to say that these people are, you know, like they prefer to stay at home and make their own cocktail. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. I think I would, you know, much rather have somebody else make my pina colada. <laughs> On on that desert island, there's nobody else to do it though. You're by you're by yourself. Well, there's a so. there's that guy in the tree. <laughs> oh, yeah, the, right. he's the one that had to get the, the coconut the down. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah, so he's he's got his full bar bar <laughs> yeah. toolkit, um, and an ice crusher. Up there. Um, well, uh, Lucinda, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I know that I speak for myself and my father. It is always great to hear your voice and to see you and um, best of luck. Hey, this good to great. see you too. And we've only scratched the surface. We've got to do another interview. This is far too short. It was. But- 
we will. We'll do a we'll do that a part two. Good. <laughs> but here here's cool. to you, Lucinda. Hey, cheers I'm to you guys. Cheers, my, Lucinda. My, my Hendrix... guru, gurus. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. cheers. Take care. That does it for today's show. To learn more about future guests, visit thecocktailguru.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. The Cocktail Guru Podcast is produced by First Real Entertainment and distributed by Eats Drinks TV, a service of the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, and wherever fine podcasts can be heard.